You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hunt. And we're coming to you live from <laughs> New York City. We literally are. That's not a joke. We oh, are. well, not live. Oh, of course. Yes, the live bit doesn't really apply to podcasting. That would be radio, and this isn't radio. No. So we are coming to you from the past in New York City, where we are gathered together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, well, Micah is staying in my apartment. We're having a little, an, a second vacay together. We're going <laughs> we are. two for two on the past couple months. But really, uh, we are grown women whose boyfriends are graduating from college uh, this year. Yes. So Delayed graduation. We should specify they are 2020 grads, uh, so it's not. That's strange. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we've been having a great time celebrating that. What have mm-hmm. been the highlights of your New York trip so far, Micah? Oh, what have been the highlights? I think just like hanging out with everyone and seeing so many people. Hanging has been fun. We've hanging been doing been a lot of meals, mm-hmm. a lot of meals out, lots of good food. Uh, we had the lengthy graduation ceremony at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I went to two graduation ceremonies. Oh, you it did was a lot, one. yeah. I, I enjoyed myself. I thoroughly I enjoyed the fireworks at the end. Yeah, those were wild. Confetti cannon, also oh, very yeah. cool. Very yeah. surprising, honestly. And some great speakers. I Good speakers. I thought it was a great evening. Yes. What else have we been up to? Um, hmm. We went to Book Club Bar, our we favorite did. place tonight. It is a bookstore come bar, and we got to read books there. And have a little drinky drink. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I thought it was pretty fun. Big wreck if you're in New York. We went to Smorgasburg. We did, in Prospect Park. Yes, it was a very hot day. Uh, Yeah. If you don't know, Smorgasburg is an outdoor market in the summer in Brooklyn. And it it felt like that. Even though we're only in May, it felt like like deep summer. It was very toasty. Unexpectedly very hot. But... Mm -hmm. A lovely way to spend a Sunday, I think it was. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Every day has blended into one in my brain. Yeah, it's... If anyone who has uh, visited New York before, you will know that, like, the days feel so long. They yeah. usually end up as, like, 15-hour days anyway, where you just wake up in the morning and hit the pavements, and yeah. you are doing 30,000 steps a day, you're, like, traipsing around the city, you're on the subway, off the subway... They're pretty jam-packed days when you're visiting, so okay. it my, has my like that. My phone tracks how many floors I've walked up, and I'm oh. averaging like 31 floors a day. 31 floors a day? Yeah. I suppose just my apartment is like six. Exactly. So. I usually do that twice, so that's 12 right there. Oh, there's half of them. Yeah, and then the subway, and then we walk to the top of Yankee Stadium. Oh, that was a lot of stairs. Yeah. Yeah. But, so get be prepared. Bring good shoes. Yes, yes. If you are visiting, definitely bring good <laughs> shoes this summer. But, you know, the rest of the month we've been doing lots of reading, watching, and listening. So we kind of thought that while we're together, we would record the reading, watching, listening portion of the show. So let's dive into it. Micah, what have you been reading in May? Um, Right before I got here, I finished Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Irvinesto. You bought that while we were in Seattle, right? I did, yeah. It was was on sale. um, And signed? It was and signed. Well, so it was the, like, Target Diversity Book Club which was interesting it also won the booker prize in 2019 so it like wow yeah and they're just popping that on sale yeah i think they really printed maybe too many copies right a little overstock um 
but it was great. It tell it's not like a traditional narrative. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of um, a different woman in each section. Huh. And they're all black women in the UK. Um, and some of them are very recent immigrants to the UK. Some of them have been there for generations. Um, and it and they're all all the stories are like connected in some way, which is really cool. So like you have like a mother and then her daughter and then her best friend and then like oh. they all thread together. And I thought like I thought it was wonderful. I understand why it won the Booker. I did think it was like a little cheesy at the end. Oh, <laughs> there's some um, DNA test shenanigans that happens. In not to give a spoiler, but in what kind of way? Like someone discovers their mother who they didn't think would be their mother. Oh, yeah. so we get a little like sentimental, emotional yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, and like some stuff that like I I can't comment on as being weird, but like. I felt odd about it. So. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So a semi-recommend on... Yeah, I like, definitely think it's a great like read. Um, sped through it. It was a lot of fun. Great. But, yeah, what did you read? What did I read? I read the book that I adored this month was Book Lovers by Emily Henry. So jealous. Yes. I was originally on the wait list at the library. I think it said that I had like 700 weeks was my approximate wait time. Amazing. And we were like, oh, this is many a year that I yeah. will have to wait. Like, that is 14 years that I would have to wait for the book. <laughs> Might as well just buy it at that point. Yeah, oh, for sure. But, like, two days after it came out, they must have just, like, bought in a ton of copies yeah. because I went straight to the top of the list, I got it, and I devoured it in a couple days. And I was really happy about this because I was kind of anxious. This is Emily Henry's third romance book. The yeah. first one was Beach Read, which we gave as our favorite book of 2020 we adored Mm -hmm. beach read and then last summer she came out with people we meet on vacation which we didn't love so much and it was really hard to read that and not love it so i was quite nervous about book lovers and i think i might have even liked it more than beach read that's crazy i adored it so to let you know what book lovers is about You know in a Hallmark movie where Mm -hmm. there's a guy who, like, he leads this big selfish life in New York City where he's always on the phone. Yes, yeah. He's Tom Hanks when he's, like, being the evil Barnes & Noble kind of guy, right? So very like that. But then they always end up going to, like, a small town and they meet (laughs) a girl who's, like the heir to a Christmas tree farm or she's a baker or some other kind mm-hmm. of cutesy twee career yes. like that. And then they fall in love and he leaves his like horrible bitchy girlfriend in the city who yes. like we only really see on phone calls as she's urging him to close down the Christmas tree farm <laughs> or like stomp on the apples or something yes. like that, right? This book is about the girl in the city, right? Oh, yeah. cool. So her name is Nora Stevens, and she is a literary agent in New York. She's a born and bred New Yorker. She's very, like, cutthroat. She loves her beauty products. She's just, like, unabashedly Mm -hmm. that girl. And she has had, like, three or four boyfriends break up with her because they have gone on a trip to Texas where they were supposed to close down a family-run hotel, and they fell in love with the daughter. So... In her story, her younger sister convinces her to visit a small North Carolina town over the summer, Mm. and she runs into a man named Charlie, who is this kind of 
broody book editor that she mm-hmm. knows from back in the city and they kind of have a little romance together. Damn. Yeah. So I really like it for its sort of self-aware spin on yeah. romantic comedy tropes. But I also like this kind of discussion that it had about what kind of woman you have to be to qualify as worthy of being mm-hmm. a romantic lead or like worthy of romance, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was really, really interesting. And I think it did a really good job of just like legitimizing that being a city person is okay, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it also had some really nice discussions on family and like responsibilities. And I just thought it was a really well-rounded, really impactful book. So that is my very long adoration of book lovers. But Damn, I I'm loved it. so excited to read it. I hope I haven't hyped it too much, but oh, I adore no. it. I adored it. It's going to be great. The other book I read and loved this month is one that we both read and loved yeah. this month. I actually borrowed your copy of it mm. and remind me to give it back to you before we <laughs> fly back to Canada. It is called Reputation by Lex Croucher. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give a little summary of it, Micah? Um, the tag line or a pitch for this book is Mean Girls but Regency Era. Very, like, Bridgerton Mean Girls. Yes. Yeah. Um, she wrote it before Bridgerton came out. I feel like it's important to qualify. Yes, because I fully thought that it was just someone that saw Bridgerton and was like, I'm going to cash in on that. But no, you... Yeah. Yeah, she is, like, a book YouTuber. Um, she, like, was part of the early UK YouTube community. Oh, okay. And, like, doesn't really do that anymore and, like, has always wanted to be an author. Okay. Um, and now she, like, she has two more books coming out. Like, she's a full-time writer now. Right. Um, and it's about, well, I can't even remember their names. There is a young middle-class woman named Georgiana Ellis. And she moves to a small town uh, to live with her aunt and uncle for Mm -hmm. the summer. And I guess there's like a romance, but the real focus is this kind of female friendship group that she stumbles into of like very upper class women and how different rules apply to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. I love that exploration. I love that exploration, and I really loved the prose. Like, the actual yes. writing itself, I thought, struck such a good balance between, like, a modern yes. book, but also, like, clearly she loves Jane Austen. Yes. And it, like, still is within that kind of genre and understanding of, like, what people would say in a Regency yes. era. Um, and, like, they get up to shenanigans and, like, there's drinking and all of this involved, which you would never seen in a Jane Austen novel. But that's kind of addressed within the book of, like, why you wouldn't see that in a Jane Austen novel yeah. and, like, what, why it's appropriate in this novel and, like, Yeah. It. it felt like a modern Jane Austen. It doesn't feel like a book that you're reading for school yeah, or, like, exactly. one that you have to think very hard about, mm-hmm. but it does still feel like something that's grounded in yes. that era. And, yeah, there's so many fun shenanigans mm-hmm. that make it feel so, like, modern and youthful. I think the thing I liked most was the female friendship uh, oh, yeah. kind of... I guess the power dynamics of it, like, Mm -hmm. I recall from, you know, groups I have been in the past that there's this sort of unspoken hierarchy in it or, like, unspoken rules that you kind of have to follow. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're perceived as stepping out of line and there's consequences. And that is very much the case in this. Georgiana's kind of adopted as almost like a pet. Yeah, like the weird friend. Yeah, and when she dares to have autonomy or maybe start to think of herself as really being part of this group or part of this class Mm -hmm. the consequences are quite 
severe. And I think that was just so interesting Mm -hmm. to explore. I think just the novel itself was so satisfying to me. It really hits all the beats. It does everything that it should. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always cool to have like an unconventional narrative structure, but this one is, it's just exactly what a a good book should be. It's just, it's got its like three act structure and it delivers on Mm -hmm. each of them. Not, none of them, like none of the beats fall flat. Every scene deserves to be there. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really tight book. Yeah, really like well written, well edited. Yeah, props to like everyone involved. Truly, because we have read a lot of books by YouTubers, and I think a mm-hmm. lot of them don't get edited. Like no, or there's this, which I understand. You know, publishing is expensive, and there's tight turnaround times. And if you think you can sell something as it is, mm-hmm. you probably would, right? Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that this was. This is very clearly a book written by a writer who happened to participate in YouTube at yes. one point in her life. Yeah. And not someone who, like, got a book deal because she was already, like, famous on the internet. Yeah. I think it's really well-crafted and really intentional. Mm-hmm. And I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to watching. What have you watched? Um, one movie I watched this month that I think everyone should watch is Petite Memoir, which was directed by Celine Sciamma, who did... Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh. Um, which was like an Oscar baby thing in 2019. <laughs> um, it, like, it was a fantastic movie. Um, Petit Maman is like a very different movie. It's a huh. s- really small movie. It's only a, like an hour and 13 minutes. It only has like five people in the cast. Oh. Um, and it's just wonderful. It's about this little girl who is back at her mother's childhood home because her grandmother has died. And she's going into the forest behind the house when her as her parents are like packing up the house and back there she like meets this other girl oh and the other girl she comes to find out is her the younger version of her mom it's <gasps> like little mom petite maman what and wait so this is like the bit in turning red where kind she goes into the <laughs> like kind of mind forest sort of but it's like it's kind of it's a magical realism that i fully get behind i'm like not a big fan of the genre but it kind of it takes it so subtly and it like doesn't ask you to like think about like how does this happen right like the mechanics of it like that doesn't matter yeah it's about like this girl's relationship to her mom and how she's like working through her grief and how her mom was working through her grief through interacting with this girl who's her same age interesting is it in French? It's in French, but there are subtitles. Yes, of course. Very easy to, yeah. like, follow. Um, the two girls in it are sisters, so they look, like, really alike. That it's, is so cute. It's adorable. I, like, watch it with your mom if you can. Oh. Or not. Adorable. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I highly recommend. And not that much of your time, so it's an easy, like, evening watch. That does sound cute. Yeah. Speaking of cute, I watched Heartstopper on Netflix I this month. I also watched this. Wait, you've seen Heartstopper? Yeah. Okay. Why haven't we talked about I this? I don't know like how we haven't got to this. We saved it as an exclusive podcast discussion. Okay, let's get into this. So for the listeners, Heartstopper is an adaptation mm-hmm. of a comic series by Alice Oseman. It was originally on Tumblr. And Alice Oseman is a YA author. I've actually read all of her books except really? for the comics. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So the comics are now like published. You can buy it in yeah. Barnes and Nobles or whatever. Um, and it is about two teenage boys named mm-hmm. Nick and Charlie. They go to an all boys school in the UK. 
and they kind of strike up this unlikely friendship Mm -hmm. that blossoms into something more and I loved it it was so cute it was so so sweet I think it did such a great and rare job of recognizing the challenges that face the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. but not focusing on it. Like, it was overall very joyful. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's, like, shows like Schitt's Creek that kind of, like, don't mention anything at all. You know, it's very accepted, and that approach is awesome. And then there's other shows that really focus on the challenges because that is also a reality. But this is, like right in the middle mm-hmm. and it's just so sweet it's so heartwarming i adored it it was yeah fantastic she like the author wrote the show as yeah well. um and you can tell like how much love she has for the characters and the way she's writing them it's so good and they like incorporate little like animation yes the little bits of animation and my the soundtrack favorite. were kind of my the favorite soundtracks, they have like a lot of like smaller uk artists yeah which i really liked that was cool there's a song I think it's the first episode called Love Sick by Peace. Mm. I was so into Peace when I was in high school. <laughs> like, I I remember, like, seeing them at a bar, like, mm-hmm. in Melbourne when I was, like, I must have been 18 because I was a lot into the bar. Um, but it was, like, one of my friends had to pick me up in their car after school. And, like, we drove up to see them. Like, Amazing. we loved them. And it was so sweet just seeing the song in this. And... The whole show was just gorgeous. I mm. think the acting was amazing. It has this like ensemble cast that's very young and very diverse, and they're all amazing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite character? Gosh, it's hard. Um, Olivia Coleman, I think. Olivia, yeah. The yeah. surprise of Olivia Coleman um, is so good. I was watching interviews, and the, the guy who plays the main character, who's the love interest, I can't. I can't remember. Charlie. Or Charlie. Char- Charlie. I'm having it. Yeah. Um, the actor who plays him was like, I desperately want a scene with Olivia Coleman. Like, how do I meet Nick's mom? Oh, it was so cute. Yeah, I. She was great. She plays one of the boys' moms, and uh, her son is not out yet, and that's yeah. kind of a discussion that they have towards the end. And oh, she. She does like her typical kind of Olivia Coleman performance, where mm-hmm. it's her sentences are very clipped and like it's very kind of sharp and funny but there's so much warmth to it like there's so much love and the kind of mother-son relationship they have yeah like just them sitting down to watch pirates of the caribbean together is just so adorable (laughs) it is yeah it is a gorgeous show so please watch heartstopper another show we both watched Mm -hmm. this month conversations with friends Yes, we were in the middle of watching it. Yeah, when we finish up this, we're going to continue our girls' night, and we're going to mm-hmm. have a lot of popcorn, a lot of ice cream, and we're going to watch a lot of conversations with friends. We're halfway through at the moment. Yes. So this is the adaptation of Sally Rooney's first novel. It's not our favorite of hers. No. No. Though I was talking to someone in a bar the other day, uh-huh. and they were like, it's their favorite. Interesting. So those people exist. Yeah, because there's a lot of talk on the internet about, like, if you're a real Sally Rooney fan, this is your favorite one. And I'm like, no, mine is not Maybe we should put some polls on our Instagram. <gasps> we should. So let us know what your favorite Sally okay, Rooney is. prepare for this. Um, but this one is about two, I guess, in the book, two Irish girls in the show, mm-hmm. an Irish girl and an American girl. They both go to college in Dublin. And they're in their final year, or it's, like, the summer before their final year. And they kind of get wrapped up in an older couple's marriage. Mm -hmm. It's very slow, I will say that. (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah, it's... Like, it's got some bad reviews because of that, and I don't blame the reviews. Like, yeah. I get it. I, I get it. I think especially if you are, like, reviewing the show, and it's... The book is not that long. No. Um, but it's 12 episodes yeah. that are half hour each. They've really pushed it out. Yes. And I think they didn't need to, because... No. The book is... You know, the book doesn't have these great adventures, you know, like dragons or like no. murder or anything like that. It's a very kind of like character-focused, meandering it's story. An interior book. Yeah, but it's also a short one, and I think by stretching it out to twelve episodes, <laughs> everyone's sentences just seem to last forever. Like yes. they're only able to get like two words out per five seconds, mm-hmm. so it feels really long in that way. Um, so I would prefer the pacing to be a little faster, but when there's, like, a good episode, there's a good episode. Yes. Like, there's an episode where they go on a vacation all together, and that one has, like, a gasp moment that I yeah. think really lands. Mm-hmm. So, Especially because neither of us really remember what happened in the book, apparently. No, I don't remember the book a lot at all. I'm watching this is reminding me what I actually really liked about the book, so yeah. that. So conversations with friends. We will give you our full verdict on our Instagram when we finish it up as well. And we can't wait to hear yours. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, listening. Mm. What have you listened to, Micah? I've been listening to the new album by Anna Leone, who I've talked about before. She's a Swedish singer-songwriter. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, It's called uh, I Felt All of These Things. Is it in English or Swedish? It's in English. Um, And it's beautiful. Um... Just lovely, like, easy listening. Um, I really liked Once, and I really liked um, Wandering, which was the first single off the album. Both really, like, peaceful listens. That'll be nice for when I'm working Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I am going to preface what I'm about to say by saying, of course, we will listen to Harry Styles' (laughs) album. Um, It's not out yet. Yes. At the time of recording, we are, like, mere hours away from its U.S. release, so... We will be pretty into it. We'll definitely post about it on Instagram. I'm sure it will be our album of the month. I've heard nothing but good things from my sister who lives in Ireland and has got access to it already (laughs) because the time is further along. So we'll come back to that one. We'll discuss it more next month. But for me, my recommendation is the new album by Hamilton Lighthouser. Yeah, he is back with an album called Dear God. It is actually one that he recorded in 2015 with Paul Maroon, who is his former bandmate from The Walkman. Mm -hmm. And they recorded it in, did I say 2015? I think so. I hope so, because that's the year they recorded it. (laughs) So they recorded it then, and it is essentially, like most of the songs are just vocals and one instrument. So it's very paired back, very chill. And I think at the time they were going around hand delivering the record. Like, this is the first time it's available mm. digitally. Very cool. So before that, um, they were literally like driving, I think they said around like New York, Boston, Philly, for some reason also New Orleans. But yeah, they were doing a lot of driving around and delivering it. Mm. Now everyone can listen to it. Were they playing any of those songs at their shows? I think the band had ended at that stage. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll have to fact check myself on that. Mm-hmm. But either way, it was just a project between the two of yeah. them. I had heard him perform one of the songs at his Cafe Carlisle show in January. Okay. And he has been posting on his Instagram that they have performed tracks from it before. So if I read the post more thoroughly, 
maybe he was doing a tour of it. Um, <laughs> I've just been more focused on the fact that I get to listen to the album yeah, for the first enough. time. So would highly recommend Dear God. All right, we're checking Instagram right now, you guys. Okay, there was a show in Toronto in 2016, one in San Francisco, uh, one in L.A., one in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. That was actually 2014, so that was an early one. And one in London in 2014, and one in Philly. I'm just going to stop stop naming cities now. But it seems like they did do some touring, some handing out. But now you can listen to it. Very cool. And I highly recommend doing that. Hello, and welcome to the politics section of the podcast and the future. Yeah. Yes. The future for us, the past for you, as is how podcasts work. Um, But yes, welcome to the politics section of the podcast. And this month, I thought we would, because it's basically the middle of 2022, which is truly bizarre, not a fan. Um, I thought we would do a, like, catch-up on the elections that have happened, and then a look forward to the elections that are coming up in 2022. Um, I have found that politics has been so intense recently, and, like, so much has been happening, that elections have suddenly become the most boring aspect of politics. Um, and elections aren't everything, but they're still very important. And I thought we would have a little look-see-loo as to what is happening. Because I missed or was not paying attention enough to some of these. Also, we have not talked about Australia in a very long time. And we bring in some updates for everyone. Yeah. Sound good? Sorry, mate. <laughs> forgotten about you for a while. Not anymore. I will not do an accent. I promise. Um, (laughs) so let's hop in with Australia. Australia just had an election, like, in May. Um, we've covered the kind of Julius Caesarine that is Australian politics, i.e. the leader of, the the prime minister or the leader of parties often get backstabbed by their, um, fellow party members, mostly because of environmental politics. Um, and as an example, um... The Liberal Party has been in power since 2013 in Australia, and they have had, since that time, three different leaders, um, which is quite a few. Um, The Canadian Liberal Party has been in power since 2015 and has had one. So, um, speaking of the Canadian Liberal Party, for a refresher of those who are not Australian, the uh, Australian Liberals are left of, or sorry, right of centre, i.e. it isn't like what liberal means, which is kind of the derogatory term in America, and they are completely and absolutely unrelated to the Justin Trudeau liberals. Um, To make it, like, nice for, or kind of confusing for an American listeners, the liberal party is blue, which is, like, the conservative color. Um, It's swapped for It's very confusing. Yeah. When I've talked about this election with my friends here and I mention the liberals and how I I don't like them, I don't like their environmental policies, everyone's like a little shocked. Like they think that I'm coming out as a Republican or something. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no, no, no. They're like the Republican equivalents in Australia. It's very reversed and confusing. Yes. I mean, I guess it comes from like 
wow, we don't need to talk about political theory, but it comes from like liberalism, like libertarian, as in like um, a distance between government and uh, the people. Um, so it actually makes sense. It's just kind of a little confusing. Um, yeah, as Yasmin said, the liberals are very anti um, climate change action. They've also had some really kind of awful and disgusting rhetoric about um, immigration in the past. Um, they have not been seen as like the most progressive in any way, but they have been in power for quite a while until this month. Um, this month in the election, the Labour Party, they wouldn't sweep, but they uh, did win 75 seats, making them the majority on their leader. Yes, you can actually tell me this. It's Anthony Albanese. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Oh my gosh, Micah, please don't put me on the spot because I have only read this and I've been very <laughs> worried about someone asking me how to pronounce it. Oh no. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get like my Australian citizenship taken away from me. This is so embarrassing. Um, I, I've i only seen it written down. I really, I, I can't help here. That's but okay. That sounds good to me. Albanese. Yeah, I should listen to some more Australian politics podcasts. Yep. I only listen to the pop culture ones, so... If you need help pronouncing any Australian influencers' names, I'm your girl. Okay. The political uh, people, not so much. That that's fair. I'll I'll do a little research, and if I, we got it wrong, editing Micah will like sweep in right now. Um, but maybe I didn't get it wrong, so <laughs> I'm kind of nervous now. Where is she? Um, hello, editing Micah here. Earlier this week, I received a voice note from Yasmin that I think we all need to listen to in regards to the pronunciation of the new Prime Minister of Australia's name. Hi, I am coming here um, with a voice recording because I need to show you something. I feel like we're going to have to cut. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to have to maybe get editing Micah in. We fucked up the Australian Prime Minister's name so bad. Okay, <laughs> I need to listen to what it's supposed to sound like. There'd be little argument from most fair-minded Australians. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese is a nice enough bloke. Albanese? Oh, that was not even close to what we were saying. So that's really exciting. Big change. First time in nine years it's changed over. Um, the other kind of exciting big part of this is that the Green Party in Australia has um, really increased their seats so they've gone from one to three seats which is a decent amount um and they increased the percentage of the vote by 1.4 percent of first preferred um and i think this many people kind of were trying to figure out why there's been this big change and one of the explanations is that for the first time in australian history environmental politics are actually like something australians want to vote for um, which for so long has been kind of the thing that gets you killed in Australian politics. Um, and so many candidates explicitly ran on climate policies um, and beat out liberals in seats that they traditionally would have gotten, which is exciting. I think like it shows, is this the first election since the really bad bushfires? I think so. Yes, I think you're right. The bushfires were only like the beginning of 2020. Yeah. So that would math out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the prime minister did not handle that situation well. He went on vacation and then came back and 
didn't do a whole lot, wouldn't speak about climate change's part in mm-hmm. it, did a lot of trying to like give firefighters and um, in separate incidents, people whose like houses had flooded also because of climate change. He kept trying to like give them handshakes and they were like, we don't like you. I'm not shaking yeah. your hand. Like give us money and give us help, but like stop doing this performativeness. So it's been a not so great time for him and his response to things like the big bushfires. Yeah. Um. So climate change, um, due to kind of this horrible response, um, was a big issue, and I think it's become really a big thought on all of our minds. And so it finally had some sway. The other one that I kept on reading about, which a trigger warning, we're going to talk a bit about sexual assault for the next like couple minutes, um, is that. Um, specifically gender equality and um, a scandal related to sexual assault had a big impact on getting women out to vote specifically for the Labour Labor Party or against the Liberal Party. Um, in two years ago, no, a year ago now, in February of 2021, um, Brittany Higgins came out um, and said that she was raped in Parliament, like in her minister's office. Um And this caused a huge scandal. It caused, like, this big Me Too movement in Australia. Um, And a report came out that said that one in three staff members working on Parliament Hill had been um, experienced sexual harassment while working there. Um, And the liberals did a horrible job at responding to this. And, yes, I'm sure you can, like, this was a big moment in Australian politics, and I'm sure you, like, have seen it a lot. Um, But it, like got people out to vote against the party because they just were not speaking to anything that like the concerns on women's minds um and were quite crass in it yeah the other part of it is also that the labor party had like this great platform on uh we talked about the gender weight gap wage gap like a couple months ago um australia has a pretty bad one it's like 22.8 percent and um, the Labor Party is attempting to, or has a plan, where the liberals didn't really seem to care. So that seems to be a big sway in this election, which is kind of cool to see, like, the people power that is women coming together to get out mm. the vote and, like, um, actually change the election. So I think that's an interesting thread that's in there as well. Yeah, I think one thing that's been very interesting for me to see um, from overseas is the, I I think in recent years, it seems like Australia and Australians are doing a lot more um, in regards to making amends for what happened to Mm -hmm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people when white colonists turned up um so like as a pop culture example like last year at the sydney fashion week event the um first nations show was like the highest attended one and that was the one where like it was all by Mm -hmm. first nations uh designers and then this year they decided to make that like the closing event and it was like again another really well attended show and then when uh they australia got a new prime minister at his first speech, the uh, Torres Strait Islander and Aboriginal flags mm-hmm. were behind him. And it was the first time that those flags have been displayed along with the Australian, the traditional Australian flag that we think of. So 
I think that is is playing a part as well. People are just eager to see justice there. You know, Australia had its own Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. that applied to um, the treatment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So I think I'm interested to see how that goes into the future and what can be done there to, um, I'm not going to say fix that situation, but, you know, progress yeah. further. I think this was also the year that saw the most diversity in candidates. Not only women, Australia is actually really far behind mm. on the amount of women who are in parliament. They have actually more women in the Senate than men, but in parliament there's less. Um, but this was also, right. I think that now there's 13 First Nations members of parliament and um, the first Indigenous senator was elected, um, which is very cool. Oh my gosh, exciting. Yeah. And a lot of... Um, uh, people of color in general got elected who had not um, been really represented before. So it was a very exciting election in Australia and like a happy time um, for, I guess, everyone except for the liberals. Um, <laughs> uh, in a less happy note, survive. many other elections have happened. Um, the South Korean election I tried to get into, but seems very complicated and like people were very like, sad about it um so i would do your do your own research i don't want to say that look into that yourself if you're interested in that um will have big consequences one that um i will talk about is the philippines just had their big um massive elections where it's like presidential but then like all the other levels of government as well um and you may remember the last four years of or six years of the Filipino presidency of Rodrigo Duarte. He's been president since 2016. Um, he is like very authoritarian in the way he um, was president. He had this really brutal approach to the war on, like a true, an actual war on drugs in that like civilians were seen as people to be killed and like thousands of people have died. Um, um, in this kind of this policy um very brutal um he's also been very anti-media and anti-dissent um he had like a truly horrible handling of the COVID-19 pandemic um Donald Trump really liked him uh that is kind Mm of yeah so he couldn't run again because you're only allowed to run once for president and so the field was left open and for a hot minute there, there was some excitement about the fact that there could be a more like popular leftist movement that would become, um, that would gain leadership. So Lenny Robredo was vice president. And just to like clarify, the vice president and the president are not voted for together like they are in American politics. They're voted for separately and they can be of different parties. So people were of very different parties. Um, Lenny, um, She's a social activist. Um, she's very much focused on gender equality and the empowerment of women and had this big movement behind her of women and members of the LGBTQ community, um, students, leftists in general. I actually um, listened or watched this really interesting presentation from this. I think she's a PhD student at U of T and she calls it she wants to start calling it the pink power movement because pink is the color of the party. Um, and there's like some really exciting activism happening there to kind of move away from this author- authoritarian um, 
politics, unfortunately, that failed really horribly, and um, some other people won in a landslide. Um, it, for vice president, Sarah Duarte won. She's the daughter of Rodrigo, of the same ilk. Um, and then for president, Bongbong Marcos won the presidency. So the Marcos family, huge, long political dynasty in the Philippines, first elected to parliament in uh, 1925, but the most famous member of their family is Ferdinand Marco, who was president for 14 years, but really he was dictator for 14 years. Um, He implemented martial law. He killed a lot of people. Um is been taken to trial many times on international um, war crimes and crimes against his people. Not war crimes, but war crimes against his people. And then in uh, he was president from 1968 to 86, and in 86 he was just deposed by the People Power Revolution, and he was exiled to Hawaii where he died. Um, then, in a kind of a not shocking but shocking turn of events, his family was allowed to come back, and his son, who um, is now known very well by Bong Bong, but is, his name is Ferdinand Marco Jr., um, entered politics and now has become president. Um, not fun fact hmm. at all, Bong Bong and his mother are... Um, Amelda, right? I think that's not her name, yeah. Um, yeah, so the way I know this is... In the uh, musical version of the movie *The Wedding Singer* that I was in <laughs> high school, Amelda um, Marcos is like one of the pop culture figures in it. Like, there's oh. a Billy Idol, a Tina Turner, and then like, kind of weirdly, an Amelda Marcos. And we were all in high school being like, "Who is this?" And they had to say it was like a a dictator from the Philippines' wife. So. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to think that in the 80s when the movie is set, that that would be just such a recognizable figure. Yeah, um, I think they, like, they were quite ritzy in the way they ruled and, like, I think styled themselves Kennedy-esque. Um, she had, like, a crazy shoe collection. She had, like, yeah. 3,000 pairs of shoes or something nuts like that. And I remember there was, like, some joke in the script about her shoes. So yeah, that has always stuck with me. Here, look, politics <laughs> there you go. and pop culture. It comes back. Um, yeah, so they, um, while she owned many shoes, she also committed um, crimes against humanity um, and human rights abuses against uh, the people of the Philippines. And in the U.S., they act bong bong and... Um, her, they both can't go back to the U.S. Um, or they would be uh, faced with arrest and I think have to pay like many million dollars in restitutions. Um, so they are now... Now it's even stranger then that she is a character in The Wedding Singer. Like, yeah. That's even more bizarre. Um, I think that the, in the 80s people really liked a dictator. I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. Um, but yeah, so they, he's, they, part of the election campaign and like he won in a landslide, like really well. Um, and part of the election campaign was this kind of plea to not understand, like see him as his, um, father's son. Like I am not my father. This is like the past. And so people have Uh been accusing them of really whitewashing Filipino history because so many people died. And like, it was a really like traumatic time for many people. Um, 
And so it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. He, like, promises to continue the the current anti-drug policy that has led to many people being killed. Um, who knows what else will happen? They, like, attempting to be squeaky clean, but unclear. So, yes, that's the Philippines election, which is not as a great a conclusion as the Australian. Um, luckily, we are only halfway through 2022 and there are so many more elections you can vote in um get excited uh first voting rights woo um one that's not exciting very exciting the u.s midterms um you might think yay elections again uh didn't we just do that um yes the u.s is perpetually in elections because they have the most bonkers idea that congress should switch every two years um, it's a lot. It's so it's such a waste of money um, and time. Um, Congress switches every two years. This third of the Senate also switches. Um, and despite the fact that uh, their opponents are seemingly evil and that they have all the power they possibly could have to pass whatever legislation they wanted, it kind of looks like the Democrats are going to lose. Um, and... Uh, <sighs> Yeah, it's both disappointing and concerning. I don't even need to tell you to keep an eye out for this election because it will all it's all you're going to hear about in November um, and for the many months leading up to it. But yeah, just a, a fun reminder. Um, in a scenario that probably will change, um, Brazil is having the pres- presidential election. So Bolsonaro, who has become quite infamous and famous in the last four years of his presidency, is coming up for re-election. Many people are facing off against him. Um, the former leftist president, who was president from 2003 to 2010, um, Lula da Silva, um, is running against him again. Da Silva famously was charged um, uh, with corruption and then only last year was uh, cleared of all charges. And then in a fun, like, soap opera level edition, um, the judge who, or the minister of justice who put him in jail in the first place, Justice Sergio Moro, was also running. So they were running against each other. Um, He has since stepped down and decided not to run. But I think that would have been very cool if, like, all three of them were duking it out. Um, Like American elections, many other positions will be up for grabs as well. But it does seem like Lula da Silva is in the lead um, quite heftily um, in that uh, Bolsonaro has been, I think if you like had the worst poll ever and had to vote who was the worst president during COVID, it would be Bolsonaro. Um, That's saying a lot. That is saying a lot. Um, They have the 600,000 Brazilians have died of COVID. So that's second right after the U.S. Um, in November, his approval rating was 19%. That's 1-9. Um, and the economy is just in, like, full shambles. Um, inflation is up. Everything's stagnated. Um, life is unaffordable. So it seems like he will not be winning, except for the fact that he... Um, has made it very clear that he will probably not accept the results of the election. Um, And for a country that is like 
a decently fresh democracy uh, that's very concerning. I mean, it was concerning in a country that has been a democracy for 300 years. So, yeah, we'll um, see what happens. Um, so that's Brazil. Exciting to watch out for. And then finally, gotta shout out the Commonwealth. Many elections happening. Uh, Kenya is having a general election on August 9th. Um, Vanuatu is having a presidential election in July. Um, for Australian listeners, if you're in Victoria State, your uh, state election is on November 26th. Look out for that one. Um, in Canada, Ontario is having one on June 2nd. So like any day when this one gets released, um, Mr. Ford, Doug Ford has killed also many people with COVID, but will probably win again. So that's exciting um, for him. And Quebec also has an election on October 3rd. Legault also, many people died under his watch as well. I don't know how that one's going to go. That one's a long time from now. Um, yeah, so it's the post post with big bunny ears, as Yaz would say, COVID election season. Um, and things are going to be interesting. changing tack a little bit let's (laughs) talk about a big old pop culture event from this month and i think maybe it outshone the met a little bit the met gala Uh, this story has been everywhere it is the wedding of kravis that's courtney kardashian and travis barker there's been a lot about this but i'm thinking you might want some clarity on exactly how many weddings there have been which ones were real and was the one in italy sponsored there's a lot of questions and we're gonna I, go through that i one. feel like the wedding has been happening for months so i'm excited yeah, to get a little like, bit okay. yeah a little bit and the kind of strange thing is the wedding season seems to have been going on for quite a while but they haven't been together that long so yeah Diving into that, our main players are reality TV star Kourtney Kardashian. She is the eldest Kardashian sister, which if you're a Kardashian stan, you will know that. If you're not, it's easy to think like Kim or Chloe might be of the three older ones because Kourtney is very, very short. And as a short person, that fools people into thinking we're young. That's true. But she also had so many kids when Keeping Up with the Kardashians started. Yeah, she was the first one to have kids. So she's 43 now and she has... um, Three children, 12-year-old Mason, 9-year-old Penelope, and 7-year-old Rain with her on-again, off-again ex-boyfriend, Scott Disick. So they dated from 2006 to 2015. And to kind of contrast that relationship with the one I'm going to tell you about, viewers of Keeping Up With Kardashians watched her be pretty miserable for Mm -hmm. years while she was with Scott. Of course, they had happy times, but he partied really hard. There was a lot of times where he, like, disappeared for days while they had little kids at home. Um, And he also had some pretty bad angry outbursts. There was a memorable mirror-punching incident in 2010 that fans of the show will definitely know what I'm talking about. And since they broke up, he has been dating much, much younger women. Like, I'm talking uh, 19 and 20-year-olds, all the while talking about how much he wants Courtney back. So, strange vibes there. Yes. Our other main player in this uh, romance for the ages is the Blink-182 drummer Travis Barker. 
So he is 46 and he has been in our lives for even longer than the Kardashians have, which is a long time. I feel like the Kardashians (laughs) have just always existed now, but he joined the band in the late nineties. They were very, very big in the early two thousands. He was briefly married in 2002, but then in a more long-term marriage with former Miss USA, Shannon Moakler, with whom he shares two children, Alabama, who's 16, and Landon, who is 18. And he's also very close with Shannon's daughter from a previous relationship, Atiana De La Hoya. And there was also lots of on again, off again in that relationship too. Um, there was a you know divorce filing and then a reconciliation and then a divorce finalized. And then in 2014, the police were actually called to their home where they had a verbal altercation and they were both arrested for making threats to kill each other, but no charges were filed there. So a lot of tumult in both of their love lives before mm-hmm. they have found each other. The funny thing is they've actually known each other for a super long time. So while him and Shanna were in an off stage, he briefly dated Paris Hilton and <laughs> If you know your Kardashian lore, Paris was Courtney's sister Kim's employer. And Travis has spoken in the past about having a little bit of a crush on Kim back then and saying that he was like a little flirty with her. And then he moved to Calabasas in, which is where the Kardashians famously live, in 2007. Fun fact about that thing, he said in a recent episode of uh, the family's new show, The Kardashians, that he knew on some level that Courtney was a love of his life back then, and he moved to Calabasas to be close to her. But a lot of people are also pointing out that this was around the time he said he had a crush on her sister, Kim. So Hmm. that's a little strange as well. But since he moved to Calabasas, they have been family friends for a long time. And their first romantic rumors, though, date back to 2018 when they were spotted at a vegan restaurant together. Um, Travis is vegan. But Mm -hmm. it seems like the romance didn't really amp up until maybe late 2020, early 2021. That's when they went Instagram official in 2021. And since they've been Instagram official, they have been like kind of all in our faces, Sort of like Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly, Courtney has slowly begun to adopt Travis's very like punk goth style. Yeah. And the two engage in a lot of PDA. So I think we've all seen this couple make out um, more than any of us would want to, but you know, <laughs> it's also nice. They're, they're very in love. And to solidify that love they got engaged on the beach in october 2021 so that was not that long ago we are up to may 2022 and we have got weddings so micah you said that this felt like it had been going on for months months plural is fair uh they actually had their first wedding this is another word that i'm saying in in bunny ears or quotation marks or however whatever fancy term we want to call bunny ears Uh, (laughs) after the grammys in early april uh after that show they dipped off to a chapel in vegas and got married by an elvis impersonator but they couldn't get a marriage license at like 
two in the morning. So Courtney later clarified on Instagram that this was just a practice makes perfect situation. So fun little vibe for them. The real deal actually happened this month on May 15th when the couple got legally married ahead of a larger celebration in Italy. That's the one I'm going to talk about the most. But this tiny little affair occurred in Santa Barbara and it was attended um, seemingly by just Travis's dad and Courtney's grandmother. So pretty small, but just got to get that paperwork together. I think that's quite sweet. Um, I think I would have liked... I'm talking as if I'm the wedding planner. It would have been cute if their kids were there because there had been a little bit of upset on the show when Courtney's children were not present at her engagement, which meant that she had to call them and tell them about it because she couldn't wait to see them the next day because the paparazzi would have the pictures out. Yeah. The kids were a little confused and upset there. And maybe that would have been cute, but it seems like this was kind of just like a paperwork event. So Mm -hmm. the kids were definitely at the main event, which was the Italian affair. Now, Mike, I'm sure you've seen pictures of this everywhere, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is the big one. So this event happened on Sunday, May 20, May 22nd, 2022. And The strange thing about it that I didn't realize at first was that it seems to have been thrown by Italian fashion house Dolce & Gabbana. Kind of odd. So Uh things backing up this claim. The ceremony was held at their villa in Portofino, Italy. They had a small guest list, you know, believed to be about 35 or so uh, family and friends. And all the Kardashians, so like we're talking Kim, we're talking Chloe, Chris, uh, Kendall, and Kylie. They all wore head-to-toe Dolce & Gabbana the whole weekend. And these were some pretty iconic outfits. So Courtney the Bride was first seen um, on the day of her wedding in a black mini dress with an image of the Virgin Mary on the front. And then she was also wearing black gloves and a black veil with blue trim but then for the actual ceremony she was wearing a very similar lingerie style core city dress that was white and then an enormous veil also with the virgin mary on it Uh, travis had a black tux we also saw kim wearing a very striking all black dress and then her hair extremely white and all these looks were dolce and gabbana also the couple are apparently staying on a super yacht in Italy that's believed to be owned by Stefano Gabbana, who is the co-founder of the brand. So this Hmm. kind of brings me to a little something I want to discuss with you. How do we feel about a SponCon wedding? (laughs) Oh, boy. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I mean, get that dough i like make your money good for you but it also feels a little i don't know crass might not be the correct word but um it is supposedly the most important day of your life and it is spawn con now so that is exactly what i'm going to touch on my so on your first point about like get that bag if it is sponsored content right so sponsored content would be that a brand is giving you like in a traditional influencer sense will be giving you like money to mention them. Right. 
Um, in this case, it would be a brand is throwing you a wedding for like the extreme exposure that that's going to get them mm -hmm. because this is like one of the most highly hyped weddings ever. With any sponsored content per the Federal Trade Commission, um, the re that relationship would need to be disclosed. And there wasn't any disclosing of a SponCon relationship here. In fact, the brand quickly shut down those rumors and a rep told Page Six Style, the designers were happy to host this very special occasion. Hmm. So they're kind of like branding this as if the brand, the brand Dolce & Gabbana are, you know, close with the family. And it's a little like when parents officially throw a wedding for their grown-up kids. Mm -hmm. But the brand got something from this, right? The event has already earned them. 25.4 million dollars in media impact value according to brand performance firm launch metrics and i think like all the confusion around this and whether it is actually SponCon has just proven that we're still figuring out the rules for influencing yeah. online and in the real world like does this enormous multi-million dollar gift count as sponsored content if you know, Courtney and Travis are not being paid for it. There's no money exchanging hands and there's not a formalized contract about sponsored content. But in the end, that's how it's perceived. You know, is there like an intention mm -hmm. versus impact thing here? All of it kind of reminds me of the episode of Parks and Rec where Leslie opens a gift basket that's like deemed illegal because government employees are not allowed to accept gifts worth more than $25 because they could be seen as a bribe. And that just feels relevant here. Cause like maybe a dress obviously worth more than $25 a dress is like one thing, you know, a lot of celebrities wedding gowns mm -hmm. are gifted to them by designers. But I feel like to me having an entire event be given to you by a brand crosses into a different territory. So yeah, I don't think they're going to get like fined or anything here, but I am interested to see what impact this has um, on influencers going forward. It also begs a question that you brought up, Micah, like, is it a bit ick to have such a special day be paid for by someone else? And then on some level, have it function as marketing for their business? Um if you don't know listeners, Micah and I are huge fans of the Mormon influencers, Brooklyn and Bailey. They are twins who have uh, both got engaged in the past year and both had their rings and their engagement photos be sponsor content. And we've kind of like discussed that off mic before. Mm -hmm. of what What is that feeling of, you know, your special moment is in some sense on some level belonging to a brand it's strange but then I don't know sometimes I'm reminded of a few years ago it was probably like 2015 or 16 when um, blogger Tavi Gevinson was kind of given this spawn con apartment in Brooklyn and everyone thought it was like the most outrageous thing you know she probably got like $30,000 in rent free for a year just for yeah. some Instagram posts. But like with the stuff that's now getting um, 
sponsored and with like special moments being sponsored, I feel like that value is Tavi's is pretty small in comparison, you know? So Mm -hmm. maybe we just have to like adjust our expectations and be okay with people's special moments being sponsored. Like, I mean, it's not as if it's going to happen to you or I, right? Like we're not really going to have um, a sponsored engagement or wedding. So Maybe we're just changing a little bit, you know. Now Tavi's sponsored apartment doesn't feel weird at all. Maybe that's how um, engagements and weddings will in the future. But the last thing I really wanted to unpack with having Dolce and Gabbana, uh, I don't want to say sponsor because like they're saying it's not a sponsorship, but having Dolce and Gabbana throw you a free wedding for exposure um, <laughs> is that is this brand not canceled because. They've had so many racism and homophobia controversies over the years. Uh, to give you a rundown of the most recent and some that really pertain to this couple and their families, in 2015, Dolce of Dolce & Gabbana made offensive comments about gay adoption and IVF. Um, they said, I call children of chemistry synthetic children. He talked about rented wombs and semen chosen from a catalog, and it just felt very derogatory. This is kind of interesting since Courtney's sister Kim has welcomed two of her children via surrogacy, and Courtney and Travis have documented their IVF journey on the Kardashian show. Yeah. So, feels weird. In 2017, Dolce & Gabbana received flack for continuing to dress Uh, Melania Trump, who was the first lady at the time, and rather than apologize or respond with compassion, the brand trolled people who were calling for a boycott by selling a $275 t-shirt that read hashtag boycott Dolce & Gabbana. In 2018, they had to scrap an entire fashion show in China after backlash around uh, a racist campaign that they made where they depicted a Chinese woman eating pasta with chopsticks. And Gabbana also sent racist DMs in relation to that campaign that were then leaked and posted on the account of Fashion Watchdog Watchdog Diet Prada. Also, there's more. This was around the time that Gabbana commented on a photo of Kim, Chris, Kylie, and Kendall calling them the most cheap people in the world. So it it's strange. It's got me thinking, like, why would Travis and Courtney, number one, do a sponsored or, sorry, I can't say sponsored, a free wedding in <laughs> unspoken exchange for exposure wedding when they have their own money? And especially oh, yeah. with Dalton Cabana, you know? It's... It's got me wondering. So I'm thinking like maybe there might be a big brand ambassadorship deal in the works. Kim is a Balenciaga ambassador. So it wouldn't be surprising if there's something big like this on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the show, Travis and Courtney have talked about this kind of like low key elopement they want to do. So maybe they didn't see this as you know this like sacred special moment that like we're referring to it as and it wasn't that weird that they Mm -hmm. i mean had a brand maybe um, for them this is a low-key 
uh, elopement because like only that 30 only 35 people in yeah Italy. that is true who knows they might just not be putting the same weight on it that um we are all so they might be kind of cool with having a brand pay for it especially if there's some kind of ambassador ship deal in the works um i also think that the family have a love for dolce and gabbana that runs even deeper than the brand being mean to them uh the kardashians actually had a family dog called gabbana for 14 years <laughs> so yeah um they had the dog since i believe 2004 so before they kind of became famous through keeping up with the kardashians so it it seems to be a a love that runs deep but i think the other thing we're pointing out is that the kardashians are not the only people who uh work with dolce and gabbana or wear dolce and gabbana there is a host of other celebrities who have made it seem like it's okay to shout about this brand to the rooftops including a lot of those who most would consider like the good guys of Hollywood Um, at the 2020 Oscars and Oscars after party, Mindy Kaling, Keanu Reeves, Reese Witherspoon, and Andy Samberg all wore outfits by Dolce & Gabbana. Um, Yeah, I said it would be the good guys and it was really the good guys there. So (laughs) yeah. So I guess, where have we landed? Um, Micah, do you have any conspiracy theories as to why they might have done this wedding? This just feels like a big Dolce & Gabbana trying to rebrand their image thing. Right. Like, I mean, get all the, the nice thing, celebrities, like, get the Kardashians. Uh-huh. They're good now. Yeah, they seem to have not said anything offensive in the past few years, though I could be very wrong and would love to um, add that info to our Instagram. But yeah, I mean, I guess like an exchange of services um, to them throwing this like incredibly lavish wedding that was definitely in the millions might be a small price to pay for image rehabilitation. So I think we can see some value on both sides I think, like, this has been one of my favorite episodes to research because I freaking love weddings and I love a bit <laughs> of, like, Kardashian juice. And I really liked this the relationship between Travis and Courtney. You know, I was so happy to see Courtney happy. She hadn't seemed it for a while. And I always got really good vibes from Travis. Um, one of, like, I think the sweeter and like kind of more beautiful stories of their romance is um doesn't start on a good note travis was actually in a fatal plane crash in 2008 in which he and only one other person survived he had burns to like 65 percent of his body he suffered ptsd and he hadn't flown since then he hadn't been on an airplane and it was only last august that he got on a plane with Courtney and he kind of credits her for like helping him move into the next stage of his life. So they seem so happy and beautiful, but like (laughs) the sad thing about researching this episode is like, I didn't love all the info that I found out, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't love learning that like he and his wife had the, his ex-wife had the cops called on them for threatening to kill each other. Um, I didn't like hearing that they were working with Dolce and Gabbana and it was kind of like a lesson to me, if not like, 
you know, everything else in the past few years, you know, when you have those celebrity couples that you love and then they break up and everyone's like, love is dead. I don't believe in it anymore. Yeah. Um, that, that taught me many a lesson, but this definitely taught it again. And that, mm-hmm. you know, everybody is complex and flawed and putting any like celebrity or celebrity couple on a pedestal isn't a good idea. So I still really enjoy watching this relationship, but yeah, I I felt I felt a little less in love researching this. So mm. I hope I haven't dampened anyone else's spirits. Um I hope I've just provided the juicy juicy details. You're obviously free to have <laughs> your own thoughts about Travis, but definitely an interesting one. Mhm. Alrighty, that brings us to the end of another month and another episode of Different Things Can Be Said. This was a fun one, Micah. I liked having you here mm-hmm. for part of this month and recording part Me of the too. podcast together. Very fun stuff. What is your plans for June or what are your plans for June? My Ooh. grammar brain is falling asleep tonight. It's totally fine. Um, I'm going to a wedding. That should be fun. <gasps> Speaking of weddings... Um, yes i wonder if this one will be sponsored by dolce and gabbana i have a sneaking suspicion it will not be it is taking place in a barn different vibes will definitely be cute and romantic and lovely yeah um very excited for that that is my big june plan what about you my big June plans are my family are coming to visit, so that's very exciting um it'll be good to show them around nyc also to start apartment hunting again i Mm. feel like in new york you're kind of like constantly one eye looking out for apartments um it you know how you said like it feels like the u.s are always in election seasons i feel like new york is always in like moving season um every time you go to someone's house you're like wait what subways are you near do you have laundry in unit do you have a dishwasher in unit um like are you allowed pets in this apartment how many beds have you got like it's it's intense um Mm -hmm. so that's on my mind but if you want to keep up with our adventures you can follow us on instagram as at dtcbs podcast where can people see pictures of you at a wedding micah at micah han on instagram that took you a minute i think there's just a delay in recording i miss recording with you in person yeah rough you can find me as at Yasmin Lomax, and we will catch you next month. I'm not going to say same time, but I will say same place. I can't promise the time. Well, I can promise. Definitely same place. Years, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Bye.